0: Section 1 of The National Geographic Magazine, Volume 9, September 1898. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. The Growth of the United States by W. J. McGee. Vice President of the National Geographic Society. With the annexation of Hawaii, an end came to America's longest period of inactivity and territorial expansion. During this period of 31 years, nearly an average generation, the great fact of almost unparalleled expansion in earlier decades has been half forgotten. Beginning with an area of 827,844 square miles, and a marine coastline of full 1,500 miles, the nation concentrated energy on internal affairs for 23 years. Then, in 1803, the Louisiana Purchase was consummated and Oregon Territory was acquired, adding 1,171,931 square miles to the national domain and 1,000 linear miles to the coastline so that, at a single bound, the territory was more than doubled, and the coastline nearly doubled, while an outlet was gained on the Pacific. The material expansion was quickly reflected in a widening of intellectual horizon among the people, who were thereby confronted by new problems. For, under Republican organization, national problems are problems of the people, rather than of leaders only." the immediate result was renewed intellectual and industrial activity and the implanting of a trait which has since become national, that is, enterprise. The more remote effects included development of interior commerce, the application of steam to inland navigation, the founding of a foreign carrying trade, and the real opening of that career of invention and manufacture which has given character to the American people. After 18 years of internal development with a single international episode, Florida was acquired in 1821, adding 59,268 square miles of territory and nearly 1,500 miles of coastline, and such further impetus was given to Enterprise that the more southerly Americans soon found their territory too narrow and pushed beyond the border. A consequence of this overflow was the separation of Texas from Mexico, followed in 1845 by the annexation of this empire of 376,163 square miles, with 500 miles of coastline. Another consequence was the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo in 1848, bringing in California and adjacent territory amounting to 545,753 square miles and adding another 1,000 miles to the coast. And a less direct consequence was the Gadsden Purchase of 1853 of 44,641 square miles, rounding out the home territory to its present area of 3,025,600 square miles, with some five thousand five hundred miles of open coast this career of territorial expansion in the half century from the louisiana purchase to gadsden purchase forms the most striking chapter in national development afforded by the history of the world in the first place the actual expansion in territory and coastline was almost unparalleled the area was nearly quadrupled and the coastline more than tripled in the second place The greater part of the acquisition was amicable, coming in part as a voluntary offering, while in no case did armed force play more than an incidental role. There was no conquest in the sense in which the term is used in other countries. In the third place, the expansion was beyond precedent in the completeness and promptness with which the new territory was utilized and the new conditions assimilated. With each a real addition, National enterprise merely formed a curb removed and sprang up spontaneously to meet the new tasks and the new problems presented by the new territory, and the energies of the people, withheld from martial conquest by moral sense, turned with unprecedented vigor to the conquest of nature, to the conversion of natural forces for human weal. Finally, the effect of the expansion on national character, foreshadowed by the advance of 1803, was beyond all parallel, for enterprise interacted with enterprise and brought forth an individual and collective activity among the mass of citizens such as the world had not seen before. After 1853, the nation rested from expansion for fourteen years, of which four were devoted to the solution of grave internal problems. Then, in 1867, a bargain-counter acquisition, giving little promise of verly profit, was made, whereby a territory estimated at 531,000 square miles, with a relatively extensive coastline, was added to the national possessions. The influence of this purchase on national progress and on national character was limited, save as a hard-worked occasion for criticism of the policy of territorial development. The reaction from the internal tension of the early 60s and from the nearly profitless expansion of 67 naturally made itself felt in public policy. It is expressed in the 31 years of respite from external growth. Now, after long begging for admission, as Texas begged 50 years before, Hawaii is admitted, with 6,640 square miles of area and a wealth of coastline. The Garden Island of Puerto Rico, 3,670 square miles in area, is gladly entering the domain of America as an incident of a war for humanity's sake, and the hundreds of Philippine islands, comprising 114,326 square miles of aggregate territory, are looking to America for protection and ultimate absorption. Considered merely as a territory, These additions, aggregating 124,636 square miles, would form but a ripple on the stream of national progress, even if consummated at once. The area is little more than twice that of the Gadsden Purchase, yet less than twice that of the Florida Purchase, only a third of that of the Texan Annexation, less than a quarter so large as either the Californian Acquisition or the Alaskan Purchase less than an eighth of the nation-shaping acquisitions of 1803, less than four percent of the previous area. Apart from the events of 1898, one of the striking features of American history has been almost unparalleled territorial expansion with quite unparalleled territorial assimilation, and viewed in the light of this history, the comparatively slight expansion of 1898, But marks the resumption of a career temporarily checked by a combination of circumstances. The territorial growth of the United States has been shaped constantly by natural conditions rather than national policy. For, since the days of the first President, it has been the idea of the American citizen to avoid entangling alliances and foreign complications. Partly for this reason, the rapid enlargement of the domain of the United States met opposition at every step from conservative statesmen. The Louisiana Purchase was almost a surprise, even to those by whom it was consummated, while a large part of Oregon territory was literally thrown away in 1846 by dint of political maneuvering, despite political platforms and the wishes of the inhabitants. And the self-proposed annexation of Texas was successfully resisted for years, The acquisition of California was regarded as a special menace for the reason that its fertile valleys and commodious harbors were distant three months' journey by land and six months' voyage by water, while the territory was inhabited partly by treacherous aliens, but mainly by savage tribes. Yet cautious statesmen, emboldened by the success of the Louisiana Purchase, ventured on the step despite the fact that America was still an experiment in nation-making, with no standing among the powers, with a population of but twenty million, and with narrow commercial and industrial resources. And the step proved the most important in the career of the nation. In this, as in other cases, the territory was ripe for acquisition by an enlightened nation. The inhabitants were ill-governed and desirous of change. There was a need, more or less fully felt, for the extension of enlightenment in the dark places in no case save possibly that of alaska has expansion grown out of mercenary motives yet in no case save possibly alaska again has the acquisition of territory failed to benefit the inhabitants of the territory acquired the nation which made the acquisition and the world at large america's progress in territorial development has never been the outcome of ulterior policy It has always been an expression of manifest destiny the various elements of national growth are intimately related some of them are shown geographically in the accompanying table and diagram the fundamental element is area which is indicated in the line platted by ordnance and abscisses in such manner as to sow quantitatively the territorial sessions and the intervening periods of inactivity the line being projected on the assumption that the entire area of the Philippines, as well as Hawaii and Puerto Rico, will be absorbed during the year. The next element is population, which is shown graphically from the census figures of 1790 and later decades. It, too, is projected on the assumption that the 109,000 people of Hawaii, and also the 807,000 people of Puerto Rico, and the 7 million people of the Philippines will be added to our population during the year. A function of these elements combined is population density, that is, the average population per square mile, which is platted from the census figures with the same assumptions concerning the expansion during 1898. The three lines of the diagram express several salient facts in American history. The territorial acquisitions have been enormous, much more than quadrupling the original area. No accession up to 1898, has materially affected the population curve, yet the population is steadily increased by a normal growth of beautiful symmetry. The density of population has also increased in the symmetric normal, interrupted by each of the greater ascensions in area. The only noteworthy break in the population curve is that representing the teeming Filipinos, though even this does not materially affect the density curve the steady increase in density of population in the United States is a striking and promising feature of national development. It is an equally striking and still more hopeful fact that, so far as the census values permit determination, each accession has stimulated the increase of population and has soon been followed by an increased population density. While each accession of area has tended to hasten the increase in population, Other effects of even greater significance have followed. Though figures for the expression of these effects are lacking for the earlier decades in the history of the United States, the immediate effect of the acquisition of Louisiana and Oregon with increase in navigation, both oceanic and interior, was a decided advance in domestic commerce. Budding enterprise was directed to invention and steamboats were placed on the rivers, while improvements in agriculture were diligently sought. These advances were stimulated anew when Florida was acquired, and American carrying trade came to be a factor in the progress of the world. During the period of concentration following these acquisitions, canals were projected as auxiliaries to the natural waterways, while railroading was gradually introduced as a sort of auxiliary to river and canal. Then came the epoch-marking accessions of the mid-century, with the necessity for more expeditious transportation facilities than navigable waterways and ocean-going vessels could possibly afford, and native genius responded by improving locomotives and railway building beyond the most sanguine dreams of progressive statesmen, and made America a railway nation and the curve representing railway development is one of the striking features in the graphic history of the United States. The carrying trade in American bottoms was also stimulated, and its increase for a time almost kept pace with the growth of railroading. But the natural conditions which rendered the railway a necessity did not force genius and capital toward shipbuilding and maritime commerce, and when internal conditions checked these activities in the early 60s, They were not resumed, but permitted to fall into foreign hands. Accordingly, there is a single element of American growth which is of negative character, a single direction in which the less brilliant genius of non American promoters has been allowed to sap American strength, as shown by the curves representing the American carrying trade in American and foreign bottoms from eighteen twenty to eighteen ninety seven the growth of the nation is indicated in an external or superficial way by the increase in area, population, and commercial agencies. That growth has been unprecedented in uniformity and rapidity, as indicated by the lines in the diagram. Yet the essential elements of American growth cannot be expressed in square miles of area, in linear miles of railway and waterway, in transportation tonnage, or in other definite units. The real growth lies in the development of enterprise, intellectual and moral and physical vigor, or, in brief, intelligent individuality. The strength of America is indeed faintly suggested by broad territorial expanse, teeming millions of people and half the railways in the world. The real strength lies in the immeasurable capabilities of individuals who have already made noble conquest of nature's forces. And there are no units for measuring the spontaneous powers of freemen united by common impulse in the common task of elevating mankind and bettering the world. While there is no direct way of measuring the individuality, much less the unity, of the American people, there are certain values indicating this quality even more clearly than area or population. One of these is wealth, individual and collective. Unfortunately, early figures for the expression of wealth are lacking. But since 1850, wealth has increased more rapidly than any other measurable factor in national progress, as illustrated by the remaining curves on the diagram. In the last half century, the population of the United States has more than tripled. Yet the wealth has more than thrice tripled, And the per capita wealth of the American citizen has risen far above the corresponding value for the other countries. This element of growth too is correlated with the increase in area, especially the epical ascension of half a century ago. For although the statistics are wanting for the first half of the century, mere inspection of the later curves show that the rate of increase must have been at least doubled or tripled almost immediately after the acquisition of Texas and California. On reviewing the factors of national development, it becomes clear that territorial expansion, great as it has been, is not the principal one. For population has increased much more rapidly than area, while wealth, a partial expression of individual enterprise, has increased three times more rapidly than population. It becomes clear that American progress resides in the conquest of nature rather than in the conquest of nations. Yet it is equally clear that every territorial accession gave new opportunity for growing enterprise and was soon followed by new industries, new associations, new lines of thought, all contributing to increased individual wealth and augmented national strength. It is no less clear that the character of the territorial accession has shaped the character of the consequent progress. The Louisiana Purchase created a demand for navigation on the Mississippi and its tributaries. The demand was met by the native genius which is always with us, and the finest steam packet system in the world was developed to meet it. The conquest of California created a demand for transportation facilities. It was met by the development of the American railway system. The pushing of population into the arid districts created a demand for irrigation, It has been met by the development of irrigation engineering, irrigation laws, and other features of an irrigation system which marks an era in national history. On the whole, it seems clear that the several factors of development are interrelated in a manner so natural and necessary as to produce that normal growth so conspicuous in the history of the United States. That rapid territorial expansion of early decades was not too rapid for assimilation in the national structure, yet was rapid enough to meet national needs. A glance from the history of the nation to the century's history of the world indicates the force and beneficence of the American example. The relations are too many for even summary statement. It may only be noted that the absorption of American ideas, and the imitation of American methods by other peoples and nations proves that the progress of this nation is meeting a need of the world. Cautious students presage the future from the history of the past, and the American of today must look to the lessons of 1803, 1821, 1845, and 1848 for indications of results to follow from the expansion of 1898. The trend of these lessons is clear. After a generation of concentration, American energy is more tense than ever before. American enterprise and capital are overflowing in every direction, in Canadian mines, in Mexican railways, in South American plantations, and in scores of other ways. American progress has outstripped that of the rest of the world in every line, save that of oceanic shipping. American genius will not be pent, and is bound to diffuse itself by individual effort, if not by national action. Such is the present condition of the United States as demonstrated by any fair arrangement of figures or growth curves. The young giant is rending his chains. The prospect is definite. Just as the Louisiana Purchase in 1803 made America a steamboat nation, and just as the acquisition of California in 1848 made America a railway and telegraph nation. So the acquisition of Hawaii and Puerto Rico and, above all, of the Philippines in 1898 must make America the naval nation of the earth. For the problem born of the accession would be that problem of navigation which needs American genius for its final solution, while America needs the incentive to strengthen that element in which, alone, she is weak the Philippines are remote, only a fraction so remote in time as was California half-century ago, yet remote enough to compel the invention of devices for shortening time and annihilating space. And the problem of bringing Manila within a fortnight of San Francisco is one worthy of the genius of the inventors of the innumerable devices involved in steamboating, railroading, and telegraphing. Given Swift vessels, the other problems presented by the Garden of the East, are of less consequence save as forecasting direction for the profitable expenditure of long-pent energy. The seven million pastoral natives and tax-gathering Spaniards are far less menace to our quadruple population and multiplied power than were the savage tribes and resident Mexicans of California while it is the special function of the republican form of government to render the inhabitants of acquired territory not only self-supporting but self-governing the progress of mankind may be measured by advance and speed of locomotion beginning with fleetness of foot coming up through fleetness of ridden and driven animals and ending with swiftness of locomotive engines and seagoing craft and with vessels of sufficient swiftness and projectiles of sufficient velocity, there need be little fear of foreign complications, little occasion for maintaining great navies. For if commercial competition be but aroused, individual effort may be trusted to develop the devices required for national protection. The fact that a quickly converted merchantman commanded by a Sigsby, or that a hastily armed yacht commanded by a Wainwright can wreck torpedo-boat destroyers and naval theory together, is full of promise, since it is the normal function of a free nation to produce Sigsbees and Wainwrights, to develop swiftness and certainty of action, and meet emergencies as they arise. Nor need there be fear of occasion for large-standing armies, since citizens require no such restraint and constraint as unwilling subjects, and are ever ready to rise in patriotic and thinking might to support the nation of which they are voluntary parts. The history of the growth of the United States is one of unequaled progress in territorial acquisition, in normal development of population, in augmentation of wealth, and, above all, in development of a national character in which individual enterprise and capacity are the most conspicuous traits." there is but a single line in which progress has been sluggish, and that is the line which must inevitably be strengthened through the stirring episodes of 1898. And in case the accession extends to far Luzon and Mindanao, America must soon lead the world in ocean navigation as in other directions, and begin a conquest of the sea no less complete and noble than the conquest of the land already wrought. More than all else, the territorial acquisitions must contribute toward the extension of enlightenment, toward the elevation of humanity, and toward the ultimate peace and welfare of the world. He errs who forgets the history of his country. Every citizen of the United States would do well to remember the decades past, and realize that the growth of 1898 marks no new policy, but is but the normal continuation of a course of development Successfully pursued for a century. End of section one.